0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning, church. Psalm chapter number 71 for our text reading here today. Psalm chapter number 71. So good to have each and every one of you in God's house this morning. What a blessing it is just to be able to gather together corporately, worship the Lord in song, come together in prayer, and then spend time in the Word of God. In a moment, we're going to be continuing our series, Each One Reach One, through the month of February, uh, with a message entitled, Reaching the Next Generation. In a moment, I'm going to read from Psalm chapter number 71, but before I do, I'd like to introduce our speaker. Uh, the uh, Taylors came about two years ago. Bryn Taylor came on staff as our event coordinator, and she has just been doing an incredible, incredible job. So many of the initiatives and campaigns and events that we have here at our church are really ran uh, by Bryn, and she organizes them and coordinates them and, and just does an absolutely incredible job. And uh, she did such a, a such a great job when it came to time last year to really kind of uh, find ourselves a student ministries director. uh, We thought, man, if if she's so awesome, maybe her husband's not halfway decent too. And uh, as we were praying about a student ministries pastor and getting somebody full time to be working with our teenagers, uh, the Lord just kind of allowed it to work out to where we were able to bring uh, Alan on full time as student ministries. He always also helps out with some on the uh, media side of things and stuff. And this last year has just been an incredible time of growth for our student ministries, our teenagers, uh, our junior high, high school departments just has just been flourishing and it's it's been exciting to see what the Lord's doing. We have a, a ton of young kids that are, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth grade that are getting ready to move into the teen department. And so on Thursday evenings, they've got youth night and they do games and worship and, and they get a Bible lesson. And, and it's just a really awesome time uh, for our students. And so I've invited him to come and I want him to speak on this subject of reaching the next next generation. And uh, somebody once said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. And so as we continue our series, Each One Reach One, last week Pastor Nick brought just on the subject of shine, letting our light shine. This week Each One Reach One, how do we reach the next generation? And then I'm going to close out the series next week as we really talk about how can we practically uh, allow God to use our lives to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you won't want to miss being a part. If you're physically I'd like to invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning. Psalm chapter number 71 is where we'll be. On your way in, you should have received a message outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study. I hope it'll be a help to you as we spend some time reading from our text today. The Bible says in Psalm 71, verse number 17, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O oh God, forsake me not, until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that
1: is to come. Amen. Well, happy Sunday. Anybody else like me? The teenagers clapping. No! <laughs> they, they warned me Thursday night that they were going to try to embarrass me. You guys can't embarrass me. Uh, Seriously, though, does anybody else love Sundays? I was starting to say, I love Sundays. My, uh, there's, yeah, there's two of us, that's great. <laughs> Fridays, anybody? Uh, I can keep going. Sunday, I, I've always loved Sunday. I, I was raised in a, in a ministry home. My dad's a pastor, and Sunday is just always my... I was actually homeschooled, so that was the day I got to see people, too. So that, <laughs> it was real nice, they let me out. Uh, but I, I've always loved Sundays. I love church. I love our church. You guys like our church? Yeah, I I love it. I love it. Uh, so I man, I just I love Sundays. I'm I'm happy to be able to just talk about the next generation this morning. That's another thing that I'm passionate about. Uh, if you, if you go all the way back to my high school yearbook, actually, this is funny. I should have brought the picture. Actually, I'm glad I didn't, but. Uh, I, on my picture, you know, in the yearbook, they'll always ask, what do you want to do with your life and what are your life goals? It actually says on mine, I wanted to be a youth pastor. That's, that was my desire, even, even as a young person, I wanted to work with the next generation. And I think part of that is because that there were people that had an impact on my life, and I wanted to impact that next generation. So Bren and I both, over the last uh, uh, 10 or 12 years, we've been able to work with young people. And, and uh, we moved here from ministry. We were on staff for my brother-in-law for over 10 years, working with the teenagers there. And it's just something that, that we're really passionate about. And I'd like to talk to you about this morning, reaching the next generation. You know, a lot of different churches, if you, if you look around the nation and probably even around our area, people have different philosophies about how you might reach the next generation. Some people will do it with big events. They'll, they'll consistently have big events that will bring young people in, and uh, that's kind of what they expect of the church. Some, some churches, will uh, they'll have a Christian school, and they'll use that to reach the next generation. Some people will hire just a, a really cool youth pastor, somebody that the kids really like. That's, that's not our philosophy. Did <laughs> but some churches will do that, somebody that um, just, just really seems to attract young people. Uh, But this morning, what I'd like to talk about, it it goes beyond all of those things. It goes beyond doing things that might bring young people into our church. But I'd like to talk specifically about how we reach them and how they continue to be not just a part of our church, but they are our church in the future. Uh, I've said before, and I I try to preach this to the young people, it's not that they are the next generation unless they, they are our church right now. Uh, it's not that they are the church of the future, it's that they are the church. And eventually, uh, as, as we move on, as we pass on, the expectation then is that they will become the leaders and, and the, the members of the church and that it would continue. So this morning we read a verse a moment ago out of Psalms. I'm going to read a couple more verses here. Psalm 78, verse 4 through 7. You can listen or you can follow along if you're, in your Bible if you'd like. It says, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wonderful works he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And listen to this, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. We see a commandment here to make them known to the next generation. Verse number 6 says that the generation to, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should raise... Uh, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget that the works of God, but keep his commandments. Not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Psalm 145, 4 says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare their mighty acts. We see here in Psalms, and there's many more we don't have time to read, but just a series of prayers and declarations about the next generation. And what we see is a pattern We see God's pattern for reaching the next generation, and that is that the previous generation would reach the next generation. And we're going to use this analogy that they would hand the baton off to the next generation. If you look in, uh, we're not going to turn there, but if you look in Hebrews chapter number 11, it's the the whole of faith, and we're probably all familiar with that. As you read through that chapter, uh, it, it just lists out heroes and heroines of the faith. And something I didn't realize until just recently is that they're actually all laid out sequentially. They're laid out in order. So it goes through Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It goes on and on and on. And so you come to the end of chapter 11 there, this this hall of faith, if you will, of all these people laid out sequentially. And it goes into Hebrews chapter number 12, probably another verse that we're familiar with. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and it kind of paints a picture here that here's all these people that have gone on before us, these heroes of the faith, and now here we are with this great cloud of witnesses that it's rooting us on, that's trying to pass that on to the next generation, Uh, and then it uh, kind of lays out another picture there of, of a race, in fact. The end of that verse says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, the race that's set before us. Now, I like examples and analogies, and especially if if it's something that I'm interested in or something that I've done in the past. I enjoy running. I know know it's a little weird. Most people don't like to do that. I I really enjoy running, and I also, I'm I'm, uh, true to my generation. If I exercise, I have to put that on social media, or it doesn't count, right? You you have to post it to Facebook so people know that you worked out, and uh, so I I don't always do that, but I, I do it pretty consistently. uh, When I lived in Indiana, I I had gone for several runs over over a series of time, and I posted it on Facebook. And there was a a friend of mine that lived in the area, and he was a youth pastor, and he sent me a text message one day. He said, hey, I noticed that you've been doing a lot of running. He said, my brother-in-law and I, who is another youth pastor in the area, he said, we're actually going to go for a run, and we wondered if you would be interested in going with us. I was like, yeah, I'd love to go, you know. I'd been doing, I did the color run. It's like a 5K, you know, three miles. I was like, maybe this is a half marathon, 13 miles. Maybe it's a marathon, I don't know. So I asked him, what kind of run is it? He said, well, this is an ultra marathon like, man, if a marathon's good, an ultra marathon has got to be better. And I, I was like, I'm in, like, I, I want to do this. I want to do this ultra marathon. So I said, well, well, how far is it? You know, how far are we running? He said, well, it goes like this. They break it down a few different ways, but it starts at 30 miles. That's the fun run, you know, for the amateurs. Just, just for fun, you maybe run 30 miles. And then it goes to 50 and 100 and 150. He said, we're going to do the 50. We're going to, you know... Try not to bite off more than we can chew, and uh, so I was like, okay, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I'm in, and uh, I'll, I'll run with you guys. I started talking to some friends. and I told them they, they said, "There's no way you can do this. There's no way you can do 50 miles." At that point, uh, I don't think I'd ever done half a marathon, to be honest with you. At that point, but I, I remember I had tell my friends, I was like, if I can just convince myself that I can do it, I know I can do it. You know, have you ever thought that like that? It, it, all it takes is just to be convinced in your own mind that you can do it. So. We, we went showed up race day. You know, I got carved up the night before with some spaghetti and everything. I'm ready to run. And I promise you that entire race, I was preaching to myself, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I, I remember I text Bryn at about the 45-mile the marker. And uh, I I was just about out of convincing myself. And so I tried to convince her. I said, I I really think I'm going to make it. You know, I've only got about five miles to go. But the whole time, I'm I'm just preaching to myself. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And I did it. I I made it to the finish line. But in in this analogy that that the Bible kind of lays out here, it doesn't end there. Uh, The Bible kind of paints a picture of, of passing something on to the next generation. We see that maybe in like a baton race. And so to follow that analogy, we move then from this point where we're running, we're saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. But then you come to another runner, and if you've ever watched one of those races, there's a point where they're actually running in unison. They're they're running together. And at some point, one runner reaches back, the other runner's reaching forward, and they hand off a baton. And you go from saying, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and now you're saying, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. The the next generation, we can do it. But then there comes a point where one runner drops off into the distance. The other keeps moving forward. And and I think the picture that the Bible paints here is that that runner that drops off, now he's saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And he's he's rooting for that next generation. He's he's handed off the baton, and he, he wants to see that next generation succeed. As we look at that this morning, what I, what I want to do is actually look at some instances in Scripture. And we'll move quickly. I've just got three here. I want to look at some instances where the baton was dropped. I want you to see the results of the baton being dropped. I don't know about you, I, I learn from mistakes really, really well. Does anybody else like that? Like you make a mistake and you remember the next time I'm not going to do that. We start at a young age, you know, you, you touch the oven. And, and you get burned and you, I better not do that again. Or, or you go into the kitchen and there's hot cookies and your mom says, don't eat those. You stick them in your mouth and you burn your mouth, you know. And you, you start to learn from that mistake. As, as we get older and we get married, we have that relationship with our wife. Has anybody ever made a mistake there? With, made a, your wife says she's getting ready for Valentine's Day and she's got her dress on and she says, honey, does this make me look fat? She asks a question like that. And how you Has anybody ever made that mistake? I'm not going to say that I have, but there, sometimes you, you make mistakes, even in, in relationships, but you learn from that. If you've ever made a mistake, I assure you, you've learned from some of those mistakes. And with that in mind, I want you to look at these mistakes, considering that we want to do something different. Uh, we don't want to make this mistake, and, and God has given us these examples to learn from, Let's get started here in first—I uh, said first, but it's actually Judges. There is no second Judges. So Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 12. The Bible says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And pay attention to that part. They had seen all the great works of the Lord that he had did for Israel. And if you, if you know that story and you, can, you just think about all the miracles that were done for that nation— uh, verse number 8, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of the inheritance, in Timnathres, in the mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. This, this is the important part here. There arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Verse number 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that uh, were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. Here we see an entire generation that was lost that quickly. You know what's crazy to me is not just that they, they were lost, But think about the incredible stories, the incredible stories that we saw in that nation as we go back and we look through all of those scriptures. Think of the miracles that they witnessed. Think of the things that they saw, the things that God did for them that their children didn't carry with them, that they didn't know about. The the baton was dropped, an entire generation lost. I think the key to this is actually in verse number 7 we read a moment ago. uh, It talks about Joshua and the elders, those that had seen the Lord. Those that had seen his works. And the difference here is that uh, one generation had seen the works of God, but they failed to pass the baton. They didn't introduce them to God. And here's my point in this I think that it, it, it's great for us to do all these, these incredible things for our teenagers. We, we try to do activities. We've got a. Um, an ice skating activity coming up here in a little while. We've done laser tag, and uh, I I think that's great. And and the teenagers like it, I assure you. They they like that stuff, but that's not enough. I, I think it's great that we can... Hire somebody that, uh, that, that focuses on the teenagers and that we can get a new space for them to meet in. I think it's great that we can add uh, an element of worship to the service that we have and that we have a, a good lesson every week and, and that there's things that make them want to be together and that make them want to laugh together. And, and all of those things are great, but it's not enough. They have to know God. They have to know a very real, miracle-working God they have to know that what God's done for our generation, he can do for their generation. They have to know about the God that in our generation is greater than any addiction, can allow you to overcome whatever that is. They, they can put marriages back together. They can, they can take care of your finances. They can heal the sick. The God that has worked in our lives, the next generation, has to know about that same God. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, that we've been working with, with teenagers now for well over a decade. And I think sometimes whenever I think of this example, I think of some times that I personally have, have dropped the baton. That, that somehow, with the best intentions, I wasn't able to communicate To the next generation what it was that it was important that 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 relationship with God was what was important I'm thinking of one instance specifically of a a young person that was in our youth group uh, early in our ministry as a matter of fact and uh, man I I felt like she just she was one of those girls that just really got plugged in she really got plugged into our group her parents actually didn't go to church Um, we had to had to pick her up she had to get a ride each week and she, she was able to do that she was faithful She was there every week. We had a Sunday school program she didn't miss. She was there on Sunday morning. We had a Sunday night service. We had a midweek service. We had youth group. We had activities. She didn't miss any of it. Matter of fact, there there came a point uh, a little later on that Brennan and I started to travel a little bit, and we would go to other churches, and we would do Bible clubs or vacation Bible schools. We would help them put that on, and we would stay there for a week with them. This girl and, and some other teens in our youth group, they would sometimes go with us, and they would help us to do that. And I remember thinking just in the middle of that, I, I kind of got a, a sense of accomplishment even. I thought, man, you know, we're, we're working hard to reach the next generation. I really felt like we were, were reaching the next generation. Fast forward a little bit, though, and, and a familiar story, actually. Uh, as, as she got out of the youth group, we started to notice that she wasn't at every service. She wasn't there every time the doors were open, or she wasn't even there once a month, or... It got to where we would maybe see her Easter, Christmas, maybe sometimes Mother's Day, something like that. We stayed in contact. Uh, We were still friends, you know, if we saw her, or maybe we would send a text message. But for whatever reason, uh, she didn't carry that on to the point that she had to make the decision. I'm going to come to this here uh, at the end of the sermon, but I want to just make this point now, and I'll reiterate it later. Just because we have young people in our church— just because on a Sunday morning, if you get here early, you see kids running around everywhere. We were singing over here. I about heard one of them come through the wall. We've got, we've got a, a, just a bunch of kids right now, it's great. But just because we have young people in our church and teenagers in our church and college students in our church, just because the next generation is present in our church doesn't mean that we're reaching them. It's so important that we pass that baton on that they can know the God that we know. That's the only way we're going to reach him. Let's look at a next, another example here, First Samuel chapter number 8. I'm going to move a little quicker here. First Samuel chapter number 8, verse 1 through 5, it says, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after Lucre. They took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. I'll explain this story kind of briefly here, but Samuel's sons, these are Samuel's sons, we'll get to the story of Samuel in just a moment, but essentially what's what's happening here is that uh, the nation is going from being a theocracy, where God is their king, to to being a monarchy, where they're demanding a, a human king. And what we see as we read farther into this is that this this wasn't a good thing for the nation of Israel. This wasn't wasn't good at all. And if you're familiar with the story of Samuel at all, you might think, how in the world could this happen to this next generation? You see, Samuel, if you're familiar with that story at all, his uh, mother Hannah was barren, and she promised God that if she would bless her with a son, that she would give him back to God. And in fact, he did bless her with a son, and he did give, or she did give him back to God. She took him to the temple and she gave him to Eli. The story of Eli there is that he had two sons. His sons' names were Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible talks about them and, and they weren't good people. Matter of fact, they were, they were immoral. They, they bullied people in the church and they, they uh, took bribes and, and just they, they were not good people. And so now you see this picture of, of Eli. You see his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And then you see Samuel... That comes into this home, and I, I kind of, in my mind, it's it's almost like a stepson. You know, here, here Eli has his sons, and then he, here he has Eli, or he has uh, Samuel that's there. But if we read farther into this, uh, we we come down to a point that we realize that even though Samuel was thrust into this situation, thrust into this home, we see that he actually turned out not just okay; he turned out really well. As a matter of fact, uh, we see that Samuel grows up to follow God and to be used of him to lead a nation, Samuel, that, that was in this home, that was in this environment. He turns out to be used of God. What is the difference here? I think the difference here is that he gained an ability to hear and to discern God's word. You know, it's nice when, when somebody can speak to you and communicate to you clearly, when you can hear words clearly, and you can discern what's being said. I was thinking of an example I mentioned in the first service, but uh, when, when uh, Brynn and I were just married, actually, we hadn't been married but a few years, I don't think we had kids yet, but uh, uh, our nephew, we were real close to our, our nieces and nephews, he was probably three or four years old, and his dad, our pastor, he, he wanted him to uh, get involved in sports and wrestling, as a matter of fact, he wanted him to do wrestling, and, uh, and if he was going to be competitive, he had to start at just a really, really early age. And so they started him, again, probably three or four years old. For whatever reason, his dad had to be out of town one weekend uh, or, or on a weeknight. I think he was preaching someplace or something. But anyway, his mom called us and uh, said, hey, I, I've got to take Job to practice tonight. And she said, you know, there's his coaches there and everything, but Job is still really uncomfortable with, um, with, just with the coach and everything, and she asked if we would go, and if I would kind of go out there with him, and I was, you know, sure, I'll go with him, and, and I thought it was cool, and I like sports and everything, so we went with him, and uh, we got there, and his coach was just, this, he just seemed like a really great guy. Have you ever met a, a guy that works with, with young people, and you think, man, he just, I wish I could talk to kids like that, and he was kind of down on their level, you know, he'd get down real low, and he would talk to him, he was talking real nice, and he said, now, this is what we're going to do, he said, when, when I say jump, you guys will jump up in the air. You'll put your hands up in the air, and you'll jump. He said, I might say it two or three times. You just keep doing it. And he said, when I say down, you guys are going to drop. You know, your chest is going to get down on the mat. It was to help him, you know, just to respond quickly and everything. So he, he starts with the drill, and it was like all of a sudden his personality just flipped, and he turned into a coach. And he started yelling, jump, jump jump! And all the kids, he's he's facing this way, and we've got another group over here, Job and I are standing here, and all the kids are just, they've got their hands up in the air there, jump, jump, jump. He turns around, Job is standing there, his eyes are just big as saucers, you know, he, he doesn't even know what to think, and I was just about the same. And he says, down! I hit the ground so fast, I, I, I just dropped, and and I he wasn't, he wasn't even communicating to me. As a matter of fact, Job didn't get down. I'm like, Job, I don't know what he's going to do to us. Just get down here with me, you know? And, uh, and, and he got down. But I, I thought about how clearly uh, he was able to, to communicate exactly what he wanted to have done. It would be nice if it was, everything was communicated that clearly. You know, even I actually think as a teenager, a lot of times, uh, it was sometimes tough for me to make decisions to know exactly what God wanted me to do. As an adult, uh, there have been some tough decisions that I've been faced with, and, and, and I just wish, man, I wish it was that clear. I wish there was an audible voice that would just speak and say, this is exactly what you need to do. But what we see here is we go back to the story of Samuel is that Samuel didn't have that either. Samuel, the story uh, goes that Samuel heard a voice— and it was an audible voice saying his name, and, and he didn't know what to do. So he goes into Eli, and he says, you called for me? And Eli says, I, you know, I didn't call for you. I'm sleeping. It's the middle of the night. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed, and he hears the voice again. And we know the story. He goes back in, and, and Eli says, that wasn't me. Go back to bed. And it happens again. This time, Eli recognized something. Eli had this ability to recognize that that must be the voice of God. He told Samuel, if, if it happens again, You just say, speak, for thy servant heareth. He goes back to bed, and and that's exactly what happened. But what we see here is that Eli recognized that was God's voice. He passed something on to Samuel that was the ability to hear and to discern God's voice. If we're going to reach the next generation, it's not enough that they just know him, but they've got to know how to listen to God's voice. They've got to know where to find God's voice. You know, God speaks to us in a lot of different ways through, through his word, through the Holy Spirit. I believe God speaks to us right here in church. I believe God can speak to us when we're all alone, maybe in the car, maybe in our devotions when it's just us and him. We have to be able to listen to, to hear, to recognize his voice, and then we've got to be able to discern. And if we're going to pass that on to the next generation, we've got to be sure that they know. Quickly here, we'll wrap up with the last point. 2 Kings chapter number 20. Second Kings twenty says, And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord, Behold the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, We're going to focus on this. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? Chapter 21, verse 1 through 6, I'll read it quickly here. It talks about the next generation then, and that is Manasseh. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. After the abominations of the heathen, Whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed. And we're going to skip for sake of time here to uh, verse number 16 of chapter 21. It says, Moreover Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Besides his sins wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We see that this next generation, uh, the, the very next generation all of the the, the wickedness that came from that. And and again, we've we've seen this example time after time, but just to think that only one generation removed, and here's the problem, he didn't build a bridge to the next generation. I want to show you where, where I find that. At the very end, I said we'll focus on that. Verse number 19 of chapter 20, it says, "'Good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken.'" And he said, "'Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days?' If you look at the life uh, there of Hezekiah, you'll find out that he was a first-generation Christian. As a matter of fact, as a first-generation Christian, maybe, maybe you're in this boat this morning, uh, a lot of times there are some things that you've got to figure out on your own. You've got to figure these things out for yourself. And really what he's saying is, as long as it's good for me, as long as it's good for my generation, I'll just let them figure that out on their own. My challenge to you this morning when it comes to building a bridge is really that we would let the next generation stand on our shoulders. That everything that we've worked for and everything that we've figured out on our own, that we could pass that on to the next generation. That we would allow our ceiling to be their floor. That we could build a generation that that they could just continue with the direction that we've gone. Uh, He probably, uh, Hezekiah, thought I figured all these things out, and and I think my kids are capable of that, and they'll probably do the same. And, you know, they may. They might figure it out on their own. But if we're going to reach the next generation, we have to build a bridge. Uh, I I think again of that example where he's just kind of saying, Isn't it okay if it's just all right for me? I think a lot of times, and I'm starting to get uh, a little bit older now, I'm 35 years old. I know it's still pretty young, but I am getting to the point in my life where I. I like things to be done a certain way, and I like to do things every day at a certain time, and I usually kind of sit in the same place at church, and I like to sing the songs that I'm familiar with, and I like for things to happen, and And I, I kind of picture it being a lot the same way here for Hezekiah, that he's saying, it's good as long as I like it, and as long as I'm able to serve the Lord, as long as I know the songs that we're singing as long as I, I know where we're supposed to do this and when we're supposed to do that. As long, it'll, it'll be all right for the next generation. I'm thinking just of a, a very practical thing that I, I noticed right away whenever I started work with the, the teenagers here. I would come into our, our youth group on Thursday night, and I usually have a drink from Starbucks. That's where I like to go. I like to go there every day. You know, just, just like I said, I like to go. I get my drink. I come on in. And I noticed that they like to go someplace else. Theirs has a little windmill thing on it. I don't know a lot about that place. I assume it can't be nearly as good as Starbucks. But they like it. It's different. On a practical level, a very practical level, they just like something different. But you know, as, as we've tried to create the best environment that we possibly can for the teenagers, there have been some things that are kind of new to me. This week, we uh, really, over the, la- into the last semester, this semester, we've tried to introduce music into the program on Thursday nights. And I, I am for it. I, I love it. The truth is, I have no ability to sing. I can't play any instrument. Brendan and I were standing over here singing this morning during the... It, it was... I kept getting nervous the mic was going to come on. <laughs> Everybody was going to hear. It, it, it didn't sound good at all, I assure you. <laughs> but we, we were singing. We were making a joyful noise. But I've had Hunter come in. He's, he's tried to help us just with, with music, with the young people, with the teenagers. It's great. You know, this week we sang a song I didn't know. I didn't know the words... I didn't know the tune. Bryn says I sing the same tune with every song anyway. <laughs> I don't guess it matters. I didn't know any of the words. It, it was good, though. And, and, and the teenagers, they sang. They loved it. It, it. it allowed us to worship, and it set us up for the time that we would dive into the Bible and study. But it was different. It was different than what we usually do. I wrote down some of the words, actually, of the song we sang. It said, my feelings come and go, but you remain. It said, my circumstances change, but you're the same. So may I hold to what is true, Jesus, that is you. I I just thought, I took a moment to think about those, words, even though I didn't know them, just to think about that. It was different, and it was new, but what we're going to find out is if we're going to build a bridge to the next generation, sometimes that's going to mean we're going to have to be uncomfortable. Sometimes we're going to have to do things a little bit differently. If we're going to reach their generation, and if we're going to understand and reach their culture, it's going to be different than what we're used to. And I'm beginning to face this even even in my own life. As young as I am, I start to see that the next generation is different. But of those three things, I I want to be sure that we're, we're taking time to keep from dropping the baton, that we can pass it on. In closing, I believe that our church has a bright future. I love the fact that we have young people all over the place. I love we have volunteers that are young people. We have volunteers that are a lot of times on the computer or back on the lights and different things. If you come in in the morning in the parking lot team, see young people volunteering in the parking lot team, that's great. I love it. But we have to make sure that they know the God of the Bible, that they know that he's a miracle-working God and he can work in their lives. <music>
0: Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.